one. How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio for an episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Once again, I'm your host, Thomas Penland, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, joined by none other than Ben Gorwitz on Tuesday, November 16th. Ben, say what's up to everybody. What's going on, everyone? How's everyone doing? Hope everyone's doing good. Yeah, hey, we're glad to be back here again, guys, for another podcast. Me and Ben were on point with the majority of those predictions we had for y'all on uh, college football and NFL Sunday, as tricky as NFL Sunday was. Um, let's get down to it, though, man. We got a lot to talk about in both sports, as always. Let's start things off, though. Um, let's go ahead and start things off, though, with college football, as we always do. Ben, was there a point in the, in the second quarter of Georgia-Tennessee where you thought Tennessee might be able to hang around there and keep it a close game? Not really, to be honest, because I knew that their defense wasn't going to hold Georgia for all four quarters. Um, listen, to no surprise, I mean, Tennessee scored the most points on Georgia they've allowed all season. I don't think that should shock anybody. It still wasn't even close to enough. I mean, the defense faulted hard in the second half for Tennessee. Uh, Georgia made a lot of plays, and no. I mean, I think <clears> – <throat> I think what a lot of people thought would happen was exactly what happened. Tennessee could keep it close for a half. Georgia comes out firing, crowd gets out of the game. And then as you saw in the fourth quarter, Tennessee fans were, they had already left the building. Yeah. I'm not surprised in that one kind of expect the fans to file out of the stadium pretty early. Look, I thought Tennessee played a great first quarter after that. It kind of unraveled. I thought Hendon hooker though, played a good game, you know, and, he thought he did a lot of things well, but at the same time, Georgia's defense is just too damn good, man. We saw Jordan Davis and other guys go down, and it didn't even end up mattering. Tennessee did, though, like you said, score the most points. You know, I think if anything, Ben, that game makes me a little hopeful that Alabama's going to be able to move the ball. I mean, Tennessee obviously ended up having their flaws because they're Tennessee, you know, and there's a reason why they're – what's their record? They're like 5-4 and four or what, whatnot. Like, there's a reason why they're a 5-4, and 6-4 and four football club right now and not a – not a nine and one football team, you know, and I think that makes me hopeful that Alabama is going to be able to come out there and move the football. The question will be how Alabama's defense plays. Cause look, Stetson Bennett showed something, man. He can definitely scoot when things get hot inside the pocket. You know, whenever it starts to collapse, he can get out there and make a play. He can make something out of nothing from his legs. I guess the real question would be, do we feel like that Stetson Bennett is the right guy to be in there over JT Daniels? Look, as much as I hate to say it, I think JT Daniels is a way more talented QB, but Stetson Bennett's done nothing but want, but win pretty much every single game he's played in as a Georgia quarterback. Really, his only losses were to Florida and Alabama as the starter at Georgia. I still think that JT Daniels is going to be needed to win the national championship. I personally don't think you can win it with Stetson Bennett in there. I think JT Daniels is a much more superior passer. I mean, you can look at the Clemson game and say he's not. Clemson plays a damn good defense. There's all kinds of arguments to go both ways. I just really don't think Stetson Bennett is that guy. I've seen Georgia do it before with Jake Fromm. You can't convince me Stetson Bennett's not the same thing as Jake Fromm because, I mean, Jake Fromm's first year on campus, he looked about the damn same. He looked much worse the next two years, though. JT, but all is different. The competition's not the the two best chances to uh, to beat Georgia this year. I think people mm-hmm. would agree that's probably Alabama and Ohio State. This is not Ohio State's best team they've had in recent years. This is not the- at all. Best. Uh, Georgia. 
I was. Oh, I thought you were talking. I th- um, no, you were actually breaking that, up a good bit. What were you saying? I was just saying. I think this is Georgia's best team they've had in oh. a long time, if not ever. I don't think this is Ohio State's best team they've had in the last five years or the last decade. I don't think this is Bama's best team the last five years, last decade. So I think the competition when Jake Fromm was battling against Eason and some of those guys yeah. won the job. There was a lot more competition, you know. Alabama just just uh, just last year had one of the best offenses the NCAA had ever seen. It didn't matter how how good or bad their defense was. You literally couldn't stop Alabama's offense. That's not the case with their team this year. That's not the case with Ohio State's offense this year. <clears throat> so I think the competition is a tremendous factor that Georgia is better than everyone. They've proved it so far. Yeah, see, I agree with you completely on that part. Georgia definitely is. I don't know if the competition will be there enough to challenge them. <clears throat> I mean, look, honestly, I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because this brings a perfect segue into kind of a point I wanted to make here that I've been forgetting to make for a couple of weeks now. We've talked about it briefly when we hopped off last week. You know, like, the competition's definitely not as high as what it used to be in college football. Like, I probably wouldn't waste, I guess, Matt Corral. I would probably take him in the first round somewhere. It depends on what team he goes to, though. Like, I don't see Matt Corral going into the um, the Detroit Lions and turning things around for them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's worth using a first pick for. Now, you get down to, like, 12 or 14 where the Redskins are sorry the football team might pick I think he'd be more worth taking there for them or a team like the Vikings or somebody like that you know who already has players they have a good offensive system shoot I mean maybe even the Browns I think he could thrive I don't think he'd do well in that but I mean you look back at these last NFL drafts not only is our quarterback play level not at what it was at because I mean you could argue these all the I'd say the last three drafts had at least five guys who could go number one overall in this draft I even think if Jordan Love came out as the number one came out this year he would go number one overall you know I really think there's that big of a drop off in QBs and you don't know what you're getting but honestly I think we're at the end of our era of seeing you know pocket passers really in the NFL I mean you look at the college game outside of Texas A&M nobody really successfully runs that pro style offense anymore all these quarterbacks play with substantially worse offensive lines and, you know, they have to roll out and throw the ball and you just see these pocket passers crumble year after year after year in college football. I think it's part of that, that we don't really have those traditional quarterbacks like we used to have. Obviously the NFL is changing the offenses to adapt and that's why the new era of the quarterbacks are like that. But I mean, pocket passers still is king in the NFL, you know, like Brady and Rogers are probably the two best QBs in the league and they're both pocket passers. Yeah, I mean, you just you just have to look at the young quarterbacks that have come in late the past mm-hmm. couple of years. Almost all of them are slightly mobile if not a dual threat quarterback. Yep. You look at the list. You look at the list right now of uh, you know college football teams in the top twenty five. If you just look at the balance team, so not a team that's run first, right? So mm-hmm. Georgia has a quarterback that can run. Bama quarterback that can run. Oregon, yes. Ohio State, yes. He likes to throw it more than he runs it, but still he can run it. Stroud. Uh, Cincinnati, yes. Michigan and Michigan State, not as much with with their quarterbacks, but those two programs run the ball over 20 times a game with one single running back. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma. You just go down the list, and everyone can run nowadays. Yeah, and well, also, too, you know, Michigan and Michigan State, they more so – they actually do still run a pro-style offense. You know, same thing with Texas A&M, but we also really haven't seen – Defense and run game. Exactly. We also haven't really seen any quarterback prospects come out of there. Like Kyler Murray had to transfer. Kyle Allen, he transferred, you know, and they were the dual threat guys. Like Johnny Manziel failed, you know, like I can't even remember the last decent quarterback. I mean, Denard Denard Robinson is probably the last notable one they put in, and he played running back in the league. Michigan State's had a couple. Um, Michigan State had Brian Hoyer, Connor Cousins, and then Kirk Cousins, who were, uh, you know, all three together at one point, I believe. So, 
but you know, but that's Connor Cook was never really a starter in the NFL. Brian yeah. Hort. Hoyer's more known to be a, a actually a pretty good backup in his career. Yeah, he serves. Um, and Kirk Cousins is is has been a starter since he came in the league. But I mean, you're right. For the most part, Michigan State is is not really known for their quarterbacks. Yeah, not at all. I mean, a lot of those Big Ten teams still do run the pro style, but none of those guys go to the NFL and be successful quarterbacks. It's all these SEC, they don't get ACC, the ac- West Coast guys. It's because they don't get other than Ohio State. They don't really get the athletes. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, is there any really, actually, you know what, one other team I actually do want to consider here in college, in college football, we haven't really talked about them that much, that is a dark horse to get in the final four, and no, I'm not going to say Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, man, we really haven't talked about them at all, and look, it's because I've watched a good bit of their games, I bet the unders in a good bit of their games, this team plays some sloppy football and really grinds it out with you in the trenches on the defensive side of the ball, but their offense turned up, I believe they scored 52 points last week, their offense has been getting better and better, and look, you can say that they don't have a great offense and that this team is not that good, but there comes a point in time when you're eight and one and it just becomes impressive that you've been at nine and one. Yeah, exactly. You're nine and one. You've been able to string wins together that much. You have two games left on the season. One of them being the um, bet or I guess I don't know if they're playing in Bedlam or Stillwater or which one it is. But the fact they still have to play Oklahoma. I mean, if they beat Oklahoma, they're going to basically have to beat one of these teams between Oklahoma, Baylor, Iowa State twice because they're going to play them in the Big 12 championship game. But I mean, if Oklahoma <clears throat> State's sitting there with one loss, I think they got to get in this college football playoff yeah they play at home against Oklahoma this year then like you said the Big 12 championship they're 11-1 Big 12 championship title depending on how everything else looks Mm -hmm. they have a great shot for sure that's what I'm saying man we're not we're not talking about them enough I mean Notre Dame I don't gun lights under the radar oh for sure I see I what let's bring this topic up I think it has to be addressed do you put so Notre Dame and Cincinnati both play out their seasons the way they've been? Do you put Notre Dame in the Final Four over Cincinnati if Alabama loses? No. What that's Cincinnati's best win all year. You, you can't just say it counts for nothing. I agree completely. The real question is, what do you think the committee is going to do? Well, so far they've had Oregon staying ahead of Ohio State, and both of those they do have, have Michigan continued. ahead of Michigan State, <clears throat> right? But they're not in the college football playoff. They're not in the top four. That is true. I, I'm not saying it's irrelevant. I'm just saying for the relevancy of the college football playoff, head to head still matters. Oregon and uh, Oregon and um, Ohio State have, ru- have continued to run their course, and Oregon has stayed ahead. We'll see the rankings come out tonight. You and I don't think there's going to be much change within the top four. No if change. any change, that's why we're recorded early. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, Cincinnati, I mean, the committee, I forget the chairman's name this year, but he had said we view Cincinnati's win as a great win, but that's their only win. I don't think they just take that away. Yeah, see, I think that that will make things very interesting if it plays out that way. You know, And Notre but- Dame, Cincinnati would have a conference championship over Notre Dame who doesn't play in one because they are they think mm-hmm. they're better than everyone. I agree with you completely on that. Last last thing we kind of talk about here before we move over to the NFL. Do you think Oklahoma's one loss can be forgiven and they can get in if they're able to win out? I don't think they get in. I think they need way too much to happen for them to get in. I think even if they win the Big 12, win at Oklahoma State, I think that's a great win, win the Big 12. It, I don't know if it matters. I think if Cincinnati's still there, I think Cincinnati's ahead of them as long as they're undefeated. Um, if Bama loses twice, I think I, I believe Bama's out. I think they should be out at that point. 
mm-hmm. but Ohio State will be in because unless they lose, I, unless chaos happens ahead of Oklahoma, I don't think they're in. But we're gonna see where they we're gonna see if they have a real chance or not. Oh, for they sure. Started you- at, they started at thirteen when the or no, I'm sorry, eight when the first rankings came out, I believe. Then they moved up a little bit. Then they lost. Let's see where they are now. If they're ten or higher, they're done. No, I I see. I do agree, but at the same time, look, I don't fault them that much for losing that game to Baylor. They were in that game the entire time. Caleb Williams got his hand stepped on and ultimately had to come out of the game because he couldn't really throw the football anymore. So I kind of fault them a little bit for that with their quarterback getting hurt. I think if they can win out, they deserve to get in. I don't think a, think a two-loss Alabama is going to get in there. I mean, let's put it this way. I think our podcast Monday is going to be pretty interesting because Oregon right now is currently a three-point underdog at at Utah, which is one of the toughest places to play ever since Utah's put Cam Rising in there at quarterback. Been a hell of a team. I think we could see chaos get going quick with Oregon. If, I mean, if Oregon takes that second loss, like everything really is wide open, you know? And so it, it, that's really going to incite chaos. So I really just want to see how everything plays out with that first. That's a oh. good point. I mean, the Pac-12 is <clears throat> hanging on by a string right now with Oregon. Think about this too. Utah has a pretty firm lead in the Pac-12. Uh, I don't even I don't even know the sides of the Pac-12. I know it's the north and south. And south. I don't know who's on which side. All I know is Oregon's in first place of one side. Utah's in first place on the other side. They're probably going to have to play each other again in three weeks in the Rose Bowl. So, I mean, I I don't think Oregon's beat them twice. To be honest with you, so we'll see how everything plays out in the Pac-12. It's going to be very interesting to say the least. Um, anything else before we move over to the NFL side of things? No, let's, let's rock and roll with the NFL. Let's do it. Honestly, guys, it still is a light week. I'm going to go ahead and say this, guys, about the NFL. I have done it much better this season betting because I'm an underdog better, and underdogs have been cashing like it's money. Next thing I'm going to say about NFL is I think this is the most even season I've ever seen in NFL. Ben and I have been sitting here trying to make sense of who's the best team in the NFL, who's the best team in the NFC, who's the best team in the AFC. All of it is wide open. I don't think there's a single right answer. Usually there's like one team that looks better than everybody. I mean, Buffalo didn't lose to Jacksonville last week. I think I might have been able to anoint them. They didn't. But before we talk about that, Ben, we have to talk about what the hell happened last night. Matthew Stafford comes out, first drive throws interception, second drive throws a very unlucky pick six, but it happens to be a pick six. The Rams are done after that. This is two weeks in a row where Matthew Stafford turnovers have led to the unraveling of the Rams. First thing I got to say, Ben, is, I mean, is he injured? Like, what is wrong? There was the report that the, I think it was his ankle that mm-hmm. he like missed the practice. I mean, with Stafford, he's played through injuries his, his literally his entire career. Most of the time, I think it's been his back, um, which yeah, I think he, I think he had something early this year. But I, I'm not worried about the Rams. Like, I mean, I, I think that was kind of an embarrassing loss last night. The way they lost, not not mm-hmm. just to the team, but but the way they lost, I, I think that was an embarrassing loss. They have a bye week, and then they play the Packers. Oh, we'll I see can't... how they look against. Yeah, we'll see how they look against the Packers. I, Listen, are they a super team? Yes. Are they going to win every single game? That's not the way sports work. and It's not the way the NFL works. Their problem is they need the Cardinals to lose at least two games now because the Cardinals are sitting there at eight, I believe, eight and one. And now the No, the Rams Cardinals have... lost on Sunday. The Panthers, their second loss. Oh, you're right. You're right. They did lose. And, and you know what? We'll talk about them here in a second, I think. But if Kyler Murray doesn't go again, they're going to be in trouble again. But I'm not that worried. I'm not that worried about the Rams. 
if I was the Cardinals, I would sit Kyler Murray again, honestly. Kyler Murray was proven that he's ineffective when he's injured last year. I think you got to get him 100% to have a chance. I mean, honestly, I would even if it means losing the division, I would still sit him as long as he needs to get healthy because just getting in the playoffs and having a healthier Kyler, healthy Kyler Murray, we've seen what damage they can do with him healthy in the lineup and the wins they can pull off. I would wait until he gets healthy in order to put him back in there. But back to the Rams, you know, I don't take too much into what happened last night. Look, I bet on San Francisco. I thought San Francisco, like I said on our podcast on Friday, they were going to be hungry for Kyle Shanahan to get a win. That was like the last, like that was like their like put up or shut up game of the season. Like, like we said for the Seahawks too, the Seahawks go down. Now they're talking about Russell Wilson leaving town potentially. The 49ers win that one. Now we're talking about them as a wild card. This is a weak NFL. Any of these teams can creep into the wild card, especially in the NFC, to get that seventh spot. That's what it does. That win was huge for him. I think Stafford is definitely hurt with that ankle. Like you said, his ball looks off all night long. It looks behind. It looks wild. It looks wobbly. I think that it is off. I do think they have the star power there. I don't like having Odell there, personally. I think Odell talks too much, and he's a loud voice. Look, I, I believe it was you or somebody else I talked with on Twitter. They were saying that Odell was baller, this, that, and the other. Look, ever since Odell's torn his ACL, he's not been the same player. To me, he's a diva wide receiver. He's the he's your Russell Westbrook in the, in the NFL. You know, He's your diva wide receiver, turns the ball over a lot, runs his mouth too much, doesn't do as much on the field. I personally don't think he's the right pickup. Not having Robert Woods is going to be tough for the Rams. I don't know, man, if I think the Rams are the Super Bowl team anymore. That defense is going to have to step up and play better. I'm not selling them off, saying they have no chance. I just think I would take I would take Tom Brady in that defense. I think the defense will figure something out for, the, for Tampa, and I would take Aaron Rodgers. The defense has been great, and the Packers have looked amazing when Rodgers has been there besides the first game of the season. You know, I just – it's just the way everything looks right now. I think the Rams are probably still have as good a shot as anybody to be the third best team, but that offense got to figure something out, man. The defense will be there with Von Miller. Robert Woods was rated as one of the best pass blocking wide receivers in all of the NFL. Mm -hmm. The Rams rely on their receivers to block during run plays. They don't put in an extra blocker that often. So it's Higby cup and, uh, and Robert Woods that were asked to do a lot of the blocking. And now Robert Woods is out. So Odell's going to have to step in. I think they will be just fine. Um, you know what? I don't, I, I don't have reasoning to believe in what I'm about to say, but I think Odell would be fine in LA. I, I think he's happy living on the West coast. I think that's where he'd rather be. I think he mm -hmm. understands his role. Um, I liked what he said after the press conference. Now, obviously you have to show action and not just be all talk, but he said, you know, they have a bye week coming up. He's focused on learning the playbook as best he can so that he can get more involved. I don't know what people were really expecting of Odell last night. He he probably knows 10% of the playbook. So, I mean, all like the audibles and hot routes, like he's not caught up to speed on all that. So he's got to get Stafford's lingo and language down so they could be on the same page. I'm really not that worried about them. I wouldn't say like I'm worried worried about them in the sense of I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs. I don't think they can win playoff games. I just don't know if they're that contender anymore. Like I really got to see Odell sit in. I didn't expect much out of Odell last night. I don't expect much out of him in general, though. I personally think he's washed up. He won't I, make up. He won't do Robert Woods numbers. Exactly. Yeah. That's the that's the thing that scares me. Like, see, I look at the Packers. I see Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, who are arguably the best player in the league at their position. You know, I look at the Bucks. I look at the Bucks offense, and I see Tom I mean, Brady. Take a, 
the best five quarterback. fingers. You have five great receivers. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. <laughs> tight ends, receivers, backs. You have everything you want. See, I just think their offense is not as good as those. Now, I would take their defense over the two of them, but it's an offensive league. The Packers, they're not even with some of their best defensive players, and they might have one of the best defenses in football, if not the best right now. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable well, the way that they're playing defense. Yeah, well, I feel like in that rain and Russell Wilson with his finger, I mean, he looked like he'd never thrown a freaking football before, you know? He, it uh, didn't look comfortable. No, not at all. So, I mean, I don't give him as much credit for that one. The game against Kansas City, I mean, Kansas City, let's, let's talk about Kansas City a little bit, which will segue into our kind of playoff picture before we go to our worst loss to close things out. Look, Ben, do you think Kansas City is back or they still have to figure things out? And ultimately, is your like what's your overall opinion of Kansas City? Are they that contender? Are they a fringe playoff team? What do you think? They're creeping back into the contender category for me because they've now won three in a row. They've now taken first place in their division. But I'm not saying they're back yet because it's a week-to-week league. And in the last three games, you know, how good are the Raiders? How good are the Giants? They barely beat the Giants. They beat Green Bay in an ugly 13-7 to win without Aaron Rodgers. So the last three weeks, Giants, Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers, and then the Raiders. I don't know if – I'm, I'm thinking one of those is an impressive win, which is at the Raiders since it's a divisional game. i got to see them – you know, light like they're playing Dallas this week. Dallas's defense has not been the same like it was in the beginning of the year, right? Let's see if they can light it up against Dallas's defense because you know what? Dallas is going to put up some points on that Chiefs defense, and it's not going to be very difficult for them to do it either. So if the Chiefs can look better against a good team in back-to-back weeks right at Raiders and then home against the Cowboys, I'll have a lot more confidence in saying they're back for now. I, I, I mean, listen, I don't think there's a clear-cut contender. The best team in the AFC record-wise is the Titans. I think the Titans are the third best team – or second – I think they're the third best team in the AFC, especially without Derrick Henry going forward. So I'm not ready to say the Chiefs are back just yet. I want to see how they look against Dallas. Yeah, I actually think, then the Titans can wrap up the number one seed, though, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, Yeah, they're getting close. They, yeah. just, they keep beating everyone. I mean, and with, the, with, with a lot of star players in the IR. Yeah, and I mean, they still, I think they still have Jacksonville twice, and they still have Houston once or twice as well. So, I mean, they have that easy schedule there. You got Indianapolis twice out of the way. Um, yeah, look, with Kansas City, I never sold my Kansas City stock to begin with. I actually think the defense is better, though. I mean, the defense played great the last two weeks or three weeks, even though it was Jordan Love. But look, you add in there Melvin Ingram, all of a sudden your defensive line is nasty. You have Christian Jones, who's playing back in his correct position. You have Melvin Ingram, you have Frank Clark, and you have Justin Houston all rushing the passer. That defense is absolutely – actually, wait, they don't have Justin Houston. Yeah, yeah, he's on the Colts. But that defense is absolutely stacked now. You have two edge rushers, and you have have, uh, Chris Jones in the middle. Then on top of that, you have Hitchens and Tyron Matthews. Matthew Sorensen is trash, but those other guys are nasty. Look, I think this defense is back to making plays and being the force they were. They really disrupted Derek Carr and made him make a lot of stupid plays on Sunday night. Now, uh, the Raiders did not play the correct defense. I don't really know how to decipher defenses like that, but just from what I've heard is they didn't play those two safeties over the top, you know, and make them throw underneath like most teams do. They played like a different kind of man defense. Basically, they didn't play the right kind of defense against Kansas City, so their offense looked better. 
I still think teams have learned how to play against their 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 offense, but their defense actually exists again. I mean, literally in the Baltimore and Buffalo game, their defense couldn't even think about getting a stop. They once again have a pass rush and have a good defensive line. If they can just get that offensive line to block and give Mahomes time, I think they're just a, just as much Super Bowl contender. You know, it feels like with teams like with for Kansas City the most, you know, we look and think of how bad they played, but they're still in first place. The Chargers look like they're falling apart. The Broncos have de- traded away Von Miller. They've definitely fallen off. And the Raiders, I mean, everything that's gone wrong for them has gone wrong. It feels like they've weathered the storm and they've hung around and they're going to be there. It's like it's like you don't want to see them in the playoffs, basically. I just need to see what the secondary is going to look like against Dallas. Because it's not mm-hmm. easy to cover C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard when he goes in motion. I agree. Dak Prescott throwing the football. It, uh, Dalton Schultz, like, that's a lethal offense. And doing it against the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, doing it against the Giants and barely winning. And doing it against the Raiders, who didn't play the same defense that had worked against the Chiefs the past five weeks or whatever it's been, that's not the same thing as the Cowboys. Not at all. I mean, Dallas is – I mean, obviously Dallas killed Atlanta. We have a terrible um, defense. But, you know, Dallas hasn't looked as solid as you would like them to look. But at the same time, they've been inconsistent just like everybody else here in the NFL. But, no, I think – can't. let's put it this way. I'm not like going to – Lamb I mean, went off against the Falcons, but like you said, it's the Falcons. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not going to write anybody off or, or list them as world beaters until it gets to be about the last three weeks. I mean, I just think back on all these teams who make the big runs. Kansas City that year, Mahomes got hurt. I mean, they peaked at the end of the season, you know, and really came to their own. I think back on the Rams the year they lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl and the Patriots every freaking year. It feels like those teams play their best football when the season matters. I remember the Rams couldn't find the run game, and then they got that – uh what was that chubby running back from Cal's name? I can't think of his name right now, but they threw him in there and he was running the ball over teams again. And it it just feels like these teams always find a way to fix things and they show you their best football at the end of the season, rather than letting you get it on film all season long. So we'll see how things play out there. Um, Last, last thing we'll really talk, by the way, the running back, I was thinking of was CJ Anderson. Last thing we'll talk about. (laughs) (laughs) You like that chubby running back from Cal? I I would not have gotten that. He is chunky, though. I remember they had an interview with him before the Super Bowl, and they asked him about how that he was like the the heaviest running back in the NFL, and like how he was like basically fat. And he said he was like, "Nah, man." He he was like, he was like, "I can't feel him when they hit me." And then he was saying like that he Great eats answer. whatever he wants, and he trains just as hard as anybody else in the offseason. I was like, "Well, I was like, hey, do your thing, CJ. You're an NFL running back, so who cares?" But um. My, a final question before we get out of here is who had the worst loss on a Sunday? The card, the Arizona Cardinals getting absolutely blown out by Carolina at the house, even though they had Colt McCoy in there or the bucks getting blown out by Washington football team and Brady becoming a turnover machine. This is, this is easy. This is easily the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's easy because they had a bye week the week before it's start. I mean, I know that they're missing Gronk still, they're missing AB, but they have everyone else. And they're coming off a bye week versus the Cardinals playing their second week in a row without their starting quarterback and without their star wide receiver and without their wide receiver number three and without their wide receiver number four. Like, that's easy for me. It's by far the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They didn't just lose. Washington embarrassed them. I mean, not only did Taylor Heineke, by the way, he is a roller coaster of emotions. He is either just an unbelievable the most accurate quarterback in a week, or he is like, how do you have a job bad? It's unbelievable. That defense, Mm -hmm. I believe, ranks 30th or 31st in the league. 
made Tom Brady look like he was Zach Wilson. I mean, it was just maybe Tom Brady was seeing ghost out of Sam Darnold's playbook. <laughs> I like that one. I'm actually and, and, Ch- and Chase Young did get hurt, which I feel bad for him with the. I believe he tore his ACL, so he'll be yeah, out for the year. Yeah, you hate to see it for a young defensive stud. Um, I'm actually going to go the other way on this one, though. I don't care if Colt McCoy was in there playing quarterback. I don't care who Arizona was missing. Carolina did not have their starting quarterback in there. They picked up Cam Newton off the freaking street and absolutely whooped the ass of the Cardinals in Arizona. I thought that was pretty embarrassing being 10.5-point favorites. The Bucks were 9.5, so, I mean – that kind of helps my case there a little bit. Look, both losses but were what about my, my point is this. When the coach, Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury said something in a press conference before the game saying, no, like, we're holding Kyler out. We don't, we don't want to play him this week, this and that. Mm-hmm. And then every other star on the offense is not playing. Chase Edmonds, DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green, Rondo Moore. Like, what kind of mess? I know that they're professionals, but what kind of message does that send to the team? Like, this guy Ooh. could play, but we're not going to play them. We have a division. I think they have a divisional game the following week. Let me check. Damn. Um, well. Like, my point is, like, it kind of – yeah, they do. They play at Seattle this coming week. Maybe some of the players should be like, well, we don't have to play our best game because our coach and no one's expecting us to. Like, they didn't show up. Damn. They didn't show up at all. That was Damn. my thinking of it. Ben, that is one hell of a catch by you there. I'm actually going to change my answer and agree with Ben on this one. Could be an excuse. Could be an excuse, though. You got to show up every single week. I like that a lot. That reminds me of my Dan Mullen thing where he's basically gave up after they didn't make the national championship. You know, it's kind of the exact same message that Cliff Kingsbury sent to his players. So I like that catch right there by you. Um, Here's an interesting quote for you, though, by Ron Rivera that we need to keep in mind next week. They asked Ron Rivera, are you so he's going back to play the Panthers this next week? He used to coach there. They asked him, they're like, Do you have a secret formula for stopping Cam Newton? He goes, Let's just put it this way. We'll be ready. So who is this? Is this a revenge game for Ron? Or is it a re, it's definitely a revenge game for it's a revenge season for Cam Newton, is it not? It is a revenge so who, season for Cam Newton, but I give the revenge game to Rivera here, man. They let him go after he was the long-term tenured head coach there. I mean, the Cam Newton thing, him and Cam Newton still have a good relationship, you know, because he was technically out of coach there as Cam Newton was out of being QB there. So I think Cam already had his revenge game on the NFL. To be honest with you, if I knew Cam Newton was playing, I probably would have bet on them. I thought P.J. Walker was the starter, and I mean, he played a good bit of the game. They basically played both QBs. I'm gonna give Ron the edge here. I think Riverboat Ron's gonna have a little is gonna have a strategy for stopping Cam Newton, frustrating him. I think Washington might whoop that ass this week. We'll see. I think Carolina needs this win. They're they're in the hunt. Obviously, they kind of switch places with the Falcons. The Panthers are now that seventh seventh team in. Yeah. Um, both teams can could use this win. Hey, think about it though, Ben. You you helped us handicap this one too. Think about what you said. They just beat Arizona with nobody in there. This team has looked abysmal the last couple of weeks. I don't see why they won't look abysmal again. But hey, well, you know what? We're gonna revisit this game on Friday's podcast just because we have this much a, on it. I might put a Twitter poll out saying who's who's got the more who's seeking more revenge, Cam or Riverboat Ron. Hey, that is a good one. I'll definitely I will definitely retweet that. Let's get a lot of a lot of response on that. Anything else we should discuss before we call it a day? Mm. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. 
Yeah, I think I'm good on everything, too. Um, hopefully, we'll get a clearer picture of what's going on in the NFL here in the next, like, two weeks or so. Usually, you have a clearer picture now because there's an extra week. It's a little bit tougher to get a clear picture on everything. College football, I think we could have a big podcast Monday. We'll obviously have our regular podcast on Friday. We're going to break down all the biggest games and matchups for y'all. We're- uh, just a couple like MLB free agent stuff that happened just real quick. So Jose Barrios returning to the Blue Jays mm-hmm. on a pretty sizable deal. Um, Noah Syndergaard, did, he declined $18 million from the New York Mets after kind of saying he wanted to stay in New York and ended up taking $21 million to go out west to the Angels. I saw you tweet about it. Um, what do you think about that? I I think you and I might have a little different opinion. I think that's a lot of money for a guy that's pitched two innings in two years. I, at this point in Syndergaard's career, I don't think the biggest thing to talk about is potential. I don't – what potential is there? There's no potential if you're not on the field. And for the past two seasons, he's not been able to stay on the field. I'm very interested to see if he can stay healthy because if he stays healthy for a full season – which is basically a tryout season in LA because it's only one year, even though it's a very expensive tryout, $21 million. Is, is it something with the Mets training staff that they can't keep a single pitcher healthy for the last decade, it seems like? Well, Steven Matz went to the Blue Jays. He had a great season. Had a great season. For the most part, stayed healthy. He did get injured a little bit. I'm interested to see what Syndergaard can do now. Can he stay healthy in another organizations training program with with new uh training staff maybe there's something new because i I think it's a lot of money i i get it the angels they've struggled they've never had pitching they don't have much pitching prospects they don't have much mlb talent pitching it's always what's held them back i don't know i don't i don't believe Syndergaard fixes much paying him 21 million dollars for one year when he hasn't really pitched in the last two seasons i don't love the move but that's why you have to wait and see how it plays out. What do you think? Yeah, so, you know, my, my initial thoughts was, look, their, their pitching can't be any worse. Might as well pick they some can't. guys up and try to bolster it because, I mean, yeah, this pitching and they've is... Had some bad, and they've had some bad luck. Um, Nick Aiden Hart. News, but Aiden Hart and then Scott, Tyler Skaggs was a very promising left-hander and, uh, you know, unfortunately had passed away. Um, yeah, so, I mean you don't plan for stuff to happen for that kind of stuff to happen. And they haven't been able to bounce back, but they haven't had a good pitching in so long. So, I mean, you already have Otani. Um, Demeters was supposed to be their big time prospect. He was their number one prospect came up at the end of the year. Didn't really move the needle for me at all. Look, I, at first I kind of, kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to look at the signing this way. I assume they're going to go out and spend money on somebody else for one, how bad their pitching is and two, how many good pros guys there are out on the pitching market. I'm interested to see what kind of money these guys get. Cause I mean, the guy you mentioned Stroman, I mean, he's a free agent. Get a now. lot of money. Yeah. And he could get a lot of money. I'm interested to see if they're not done getting pitching. But the second thing, the way I look at it is you get him on a one year deal. Yeah. 21 million is a decent bit, but I mean, your pitching has been so bad. If you can keep him healthy, I mean, he could be the horse of your rotation with how bad their pitching has been. They need pitchers desperately. I don't think they're done. I think they're going to go out and add somebody else as well to that pitching rotation. But I mean, once you can get one more pitcher in there, then you have Syndergaard, Demeters, Otani, and whoever this other guy is, the pitching could look a lot better, but it definitely is risky. I do agree with you that it's guys thrown, thrown two innings in two years. Yeah, then just on the other side of it, just real quick, the Mets uh, finally 
found a GM that, that said yes to them. Um, it's actually an old executive of the Angels. He's going to be taking over for the Mets. I believe uh, they're kind of getting those details worked out. The thing is for the Mets is, yeah, they need pitching still um, because you know injuries are going to come to that pitching staff. It always does for them. I don't think Syndergaard's a loss at all. The Mets offered him $18 million is what they thought was a fair price. He said, no, goodbye. You you didn't stay healthy for us anyway. That If I'm a Mets fan, that's just like the easiest replaceable player ever. It's the guy that's never on the field. Mm-hmm. I think the Mets should go after Stroman very hard. I and, agree. And even if you have to overpay a little bit for him, his numbers back it up, man. He, his numbers were really good last year. They were pretty good the year before in a COVID year. I think he's a really good pitcher. I agree with you completely. I wanted the Braves to trade for him before they, they got him. I'm just kind of surprised the Blue Jays gave him up with everything. But I guess Jose Barrios is their new guy. It'd be interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where everyone they goes. They have Ryu as well. They, I think they still have Ryu. Yeah, they do. Um, Tigers, I could. I was shocked to see the Tigers give Eduardo Rodriguez that kind of money. I'm happy. Was... I'm happy now. I'm happy because it's a young team that has a lot of young pitching that I like the direction they're going in. They're going Same. young starting pitching, and that's what's going to drive them. They'll figure out the offense. They also signed the catcher who used to be – Mike Zanino, I think, went to Detroit, if I'm not mistaken. Really? So got a, lo- got, got a little more pop in the lineup. Their, their young pitching staff, it's going to develop. Erod is now kind of like their ace. Casey Mize, um, an Atlanta boy, got better and better as the season went on. They have another young guy. I'm blanking on his name right now. They're Targ building. You, thank you. You have to build somewhere. You mm-hmm. either go all in on a lineup and figure out your pitching, or you go heavy on starting pitching and or bullpen, and that's your strength. They're going with the starting pitching. And then they're going to build the bullpen, and they're going to figure out the lineup. I don't hate it for them. You got to build somewhere. You got to put. You got to put uh, more people in the seats in Detroit. Young pitching, young exciting pitching, more wins. I think they're heading in the right direction. I agree with you too, especially because they're going to have Spencer Torkelson up in the MLB in two years. Riley Green might be in the MLB next year, so. It's going to be interesting to see those guys are two very highly talented. A lot of young talent coming up. Yeah, exactly. That pipeline's looking real nice. Also, too, rumors are they want to give Correa $30 million a year. So Mm. we'll end up seeing what ends up happening there. It's going to be interesting. Good for them. Yeah, a lot of rumors, too. The Yankees are going to trade to the A's to get Matt Olson. So kind of baffles me the Yankees need pitching. I don't know why they're focused on adding more hitting. But it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out in baseball. I think we'll have a lot of good things to talk about here as time winds on. Yeah, the Yankees' first base position is kind of a weak point for them. Yeah, but I mean, you could just re-sign Rizzo, but I feel like that, if anything, I'd rather have that one hole in your lineup and go out and spend all my... Plus, because Voight can play first base, you know, and go out and They're spend not done. money on, on you pitching. You know the Yankees, they'll spend more money and more money and more money. Yeah, and they'll end up like the Dodgers last year. They they can't even get to the Dodgers point. <laughs> exactly. Well, all right, guys, we appreciate everyone who tuned in once again, and we'll talk to y'all again on Friday.